You're listening to Ewan Stevenson's Soundtracks Track by Track podcast, Season 1, Episode 2, Music and Conflict, Skirmish. My hometown of Falkirk has a unique central geographical position in Scotland and as a result, over the course of history, has played host to more than its fair share of bloody conflicts. Skirmish is the second lead track from Soundtracks. I wrote the piece inspired by the tension and build-up to a brutal skirmish between neighbouring Dark Age Scottish tribes. Growing up in Falkirk, from a young age, my parents would sometimes take me and my two sisters to the Roman remains of Roughcastle. Roughcastle was one of 16 known forts along the Antonine Wall, which was built by the Romans across Scotland's central belt in the first centuries AD. The wall formed the northwestern frontier of the Roman Empire, and on what is now barely much more than a steep grassy ditch and embankment, Here my sisters and I would reenact imaginary battles between the local Scots, ourselves, and what we imagined were the oppressive Roman army stationed here, my parents. When I first started drafting musical ideas for Skirmish, I was originally imagining one such encounter, hoping to capture the tension and madness of the onset of a close combat battle between the fearless tribal Scots and the highly organised Roman army. However, Following discussions with local historian Ian Scott, I discovered that fighting between the Romans and the natives was actually minimal, if at all. But conflict, loose, unorganised and chaotic skirmishes between neighbouring tribes, particularly during the Dark Age period, was very commonplace in the Falkirk area. Ian is a Falkirk bairn himself, a former teacher, published historian and folk musician who has a deep historical knowledge of his hometown. I caught up with Ian online at his home in Falkirk to learn more about the town's bloody history and the wider role of music in conflict. Well, once again, with the wonders of modern technology, I'm able to zoom in to speak to local historian Ian Scott. When I first was commissioned this music, one of the first people that sprang to mind in terms of being able to provide some historical context in the music that I was writing was Ian. Ian is also a, a traditional musician as well as a, a historian, so really ideal, and I'm delighted to have him today on the call. Ian, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. This episode is about skirmish. When I first started writing the music, I wasn't really sure what was going to emerge. And quite naturally, I started writing this piece that was almost as a programmatic piece. In other words, it's a piece that describes action. And that's quite unusual, actually, within the context of the other pieces in soundtracks. But it was an action piece that describes the anticipation of a battle or a, or a skirmish, in this case, a, a small scale battle. First of all, can I say that I was delighted that you picked skirmish for the topic to be discussed today because it's a great word, you know, it's almost onomatopoetic. Skirmish conjures all of these things up for me. All all the things that we we think of when small groups of people carrying sharp-edged swords meet one another, they clash, they separate, they're absolutely terrified, it's noisy, they're uncontrolled. 
all of these things seem to me to be in the word skirmish. When I first wrote this, I was imagining the Antonine Wall and I was imagining a skirmish between the Picts, the native Scots and the Romans. So that's where I was heading with it. When I spoke to you, we had a long, very interesting discussion about if there was, in fact, many skirmishes between the Picts and the Romans. And although the historical writings on this are very scarce, we believe that there wasn't actually, in fact, that many skirmishes. Can you, can you just expand upon that? You're right about the Roman situation, of course. We're in a period when we have no real sources that we can rely on, but there are only a few incursions by tribal groups to the wall. The wall was so formidable that even to attempt to get through to encounter the Romans was pretty unusual and difficult. So chaotic skirmishes between neighbouring tribes did take place, but this was during the Dark Ages, a period largely undocumented. Scotland in the Dark Age period from about the 4th and 5th century was four really quite different tribal groupings in the northeast. Uh, we had the, the Picts who had been there a lot longer. Then we had the Irish Scots on the northwest side in Argyll. And then in the southeast we had the Britons, the, the Welsh-speaking Britons. And then in the southeast we had the Germanic Angles pushing up from Northumberland into uh, Lothian. And and over time, over the years, they were all gradually moving towards one another and, of course, towards the centre where Falkirk sits. So it seems that Falkirk was the epicentre of all this tribal conflict. People have used phrases, historians, scholars of the period say Falkirk was a linguistic borderland and it was also the crucible of the Scottish nation because from these clashes along the Carron where the river ran red with blood. Picts and Scots, Britons and Angles clashed on a number of occasions and we are told that the river was choked up with the dead. Now, these would be skirmishes. They would be small groups of people, close contact fighting, none of your artillery battles from distance. This would be man against man. And uh, when I listen to your piece, that's what I hear. I can almost hear the people screaming, you know? Yeah, we can hear there Tom Gordon's percussion arrangement emphasising the rather ominous drone-like vamp sounded in the low register of the piano. As folkies, we like drum beats, you know, we like barans and bagrons, as the Irish call them, signalling the beat, telling us that this is military and telling us that people are clashing together. It's in the key of E minor, which is actually not a very classical or jazz key, is it? Very folky, though. It's very folky, exactly, and it's it's modal as well, which, of course, is folk, so it's based on the Aeolian mode, so this is pre-classical harmony. Was this very tribal, a very bass sound? There's a quote that resonated with me. It may have come from a, a Roman source describing the Picts as these fearless, loose-limbed warriors. So I was imagining these Picts as being very, very gung-ho, fearless, is that true? I think we have to say, yes, that the Romans, the Picts, the Scots, the Angles, the Britons, that is the way some of them anyway would fight. There's no sense in which there's any kind of military precision at that particular time. The Romans, of course, on the other hand, were very precise. It would have been a shock to them, as indeed it always was to the Redcoats, to have this mob coming flying down <coughs> towards you. Ian, you mentioned there that Falkirk was this crucible for bloody conflicts. Can you just explain a bit more about why Falkirk was this area where well, skirmishes, as you say, occurred? I think a glance at the map can answer that immediately because 
Falkett sits in exactly the centre of the central lowlands, the low part between the highlands and the southern uplands. And so it's a passageway from east to west. And in the centre, there's a point where it also is a passageway to the north. Of course, the River Forth was a formidable barrier to movement, especially movement of large uh, numbers of people. So if you were wanting to move an army, say from Edinburgh Castle to Stirling Castle, which was a route taken by many armies, then almost all of these people would have to come to Falkirk or come through the Falkirk area. It was a case of you hadn't really much choice. If you wanted to go to the north to pacify it, to... Um, you know, put the, the, the people there down in any way. And of course, that was often the case of invading armies. Then this is the place you would have to come. Geographically, Falkirk is the centre of Scotland and certainly has proved to be the centre of Scotland as far as battles are concerned. If you look at the Falkirk Crest, better medal with the deal in the Bairns of Falkirk, there seems to be something about the Falkirk spirit that we're, we're used to fighting, used to defending ourselves. We don't quite know when that um, coat of arms emerged, but probably in the late 1700s, I would have thought. I think that um, the people in Falkirk were proud, proud is the appropriate word, I'm not sure, but they, they were well aware that their area and their town had played a part in the history of Scotland. Uh, you quoted the second line, which is, as you said, is better meddle with the deal than the Bairns of Falkirk, or sometimes represented as fodor meddle with the deal than the Bairns of Falkirk. Above that, it says, touch in, touch or, unam tangite omnes, I think the Latin. And that, of course, means if you hit one of us, the rest of us will get you. So again, the pugnacity is, is in there. The word that I would describe as the, the spirit of the music of skirmish would be gallus, which I think is maybe something we associate with Glaswegians, but maybe also Falkirk Bairns. But on a wider sense, you know, I've used musical inspiration from even music such as flamenco, which again uses modal sounds. It's got a folk music sound. This time the Phrygian mode, that's what gives you the, the flamenco sound. I always think of flamenco music having that kind of very self-confident spirit. And so that's fused with this sort of Scottish folk element earlier on in skirmish. I have been, been at flamencos in Spain. I can see the there's a wildness about it. There's an almost uncontrolled, very passionate. You almost feel as if the performers have vacated part of their mind and poured it into what they're doing. And one thinks that if you're faced with a number of uh, armed men coming towards you on all sides and mixing in with your own people, that must be terrifying. You must, you must lose control in some particular way, and yet at the same time you have to defend yourself. And so, yeah, I can see the, the connection there, the feeling of chaos. listeners that are enjoying hearing about the history of Falkirk, certainly with regards to this history of battles and skirmishes, where would you point them to find out more information about this? Well, the usual source these days, especially if people are not in, in the living in the area, would be Google, you know, because there's a tremendous amount of stuff on all of these topics. There are quite a number of books written. So, for example, 
There's an excellent book by Jeff Bailey that covers the Jacobite battle at Falkirk in 1746 called Falkirk or Paradise. My own um, history of Falkirk, a Berlin book published back in 2006, covers the whole history of Falkirk from this period, from the pre-Roman period right through until the modern era. There's a lot of stuff available both in print and online. And of course, there are activities going on all the time as well, you know. And so the Historical Society, which I've been the chairman of since it was founded 40 years ago, meet regularly, 10 months a year we meet. And we have 100 people at each meeting. So there's plenty of material, both um, sources online and also written. Ian, the role of music finds its way into many aspects of, of society. In terms of music and conflict, I know this is a, a specialist subject, but would you have any perspective on the role of music in conflict and war? We remember that Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho and apparently blew these trumpets to break down the walls. Well, obviously, music has had a function in the actual operations on the battlefield since time immemorial, I can't imagine that they need to use trumpets, pipes and drums and the like to signal movements and things to people these days. But it's interesting that right back through the battles in the, the Falkirk area, there are little odd references here and there. For example, in the Jacobite battle in 1746, the Highlanders were given the signal by Lord George Murray, who was the commander really on the ground. He was on the right wing behind all the McDonald's. The moment came when the McDonald's entered this Highland charge. They charged down towards the Redcoat lines. And Lord George Murray says that normal practice was that pipers would pipe as they advanced. And when the charge came, they would throw away their pipes or hand them to a boy. They would then draw their swords and, and head off and leave the pipes and, and hope to retrieve them later on. And, and Lord George says they, they were uncontrolled as they ran down the hill and he needed to stop them. He needed to pull them back into the centre to get organised again for a steady advance, not an, a chaotic one. And he says in his memoir afterwards, the pipers were all gone. I didn't have the necessary musical instrument to play the tune which the men would know meant come back and regroup. So the pipes played a vital role in the Highland armies and, and did do for centuries to send the instructions, gather, advance, attack. We've heard a bit about the use of music in conflict. Can you tell us anything about the use of music in terms of uh, wartime propaganda? Well, there's plenty of it, of course. In the Second World War, you know, you know a great deal more than I about uh, the classical composers in the in Germany during the war who lent their skills often to uh, create the idea of a kind of master race. If we look at footage of Hitler's rallies at Nuremberg and the rest, there's a lot of music there, martial music, but music that says Deutschland über alles, we're over everything. You know, the music is trying to tell people that they are superior. And that, of course, is, is the kind of mindset you need to prosecute a war like that war. But of course, it's true in every war. Campfire songs, soldiers raising their morale. It's a lovely story about the, the, the tune that the, um, I'm trying to remember what it is. Uh, it, 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 it's, the, it's a tune that the, the Bretons use as their national anthem. It's the same as the Welsh one. Now, a lot of my fathers, yeah, I was trying to remember the Welsh name of it, but um, 
Yeah, so, the, the, you know, those tunes there, um, are, you know, were being used by these people to, to, to make that, I suppose, the words do make um, extravagant claims about the superiority of their particular uh, side. And that's what propaganda songs and music uh, does. So, Ian, we've heard a little bit there about the role of music um, as propaganda. I suppose the flip side of that uh, would be something that you've maybe encountered uh, quite a bit of uh, as a, a folk musician yourself, but music um, as protest. You know, every time an organisation uh, feels necessary to take to the streets to protest, usually that's where new songs emerge. Folk music obviously is an excellent vehicle because it's simple, it's repetitive, and people can learn protest words and choruses. I mean, Bob Dylan's early work, for example, is almost entirely protesting against his own country, uh, particularly, and uh, uh, the dangers that it brought for the world. There are protests of every single kind. Every time someone is unhappy about something, usually a song will emerge. It's the go-to mechanism for getting your opinions over quickly and simply. And if they can be very memorable, then all the better because people will go on singing them. Ian, earlier in the year, I was commissioned to arrange the Ukrainian national anthem for the English Chamber Orchestra for a concert at Cardogan Hall in London. I felt like I was playing a very small part in this very sad conflict that's taking place over in Ukraine. Can you give us some insight into how you think music is playing a part in the conflict in, in Ukraine at the moment? Well, within about a week of the conflict, starting back in March or February of yeah, March, I recall from the local parish church in Falkirk, they said, we're having a vigil for Ukraine and wondered if you could come along and sing a few songs. And the songs they expected were anti-war songs, songs of uh, protest against the war, and uh, um, the musical rendering of man's inhumanity to man, um, as Burns puts it. So I did go along, and my immediate thoughts turned back to the protest songs in the 60s, the anti-Vietnam songs, and they've repeated that since then. Once again, we've got a situation where people have found a way of saying what we need to say today. So it's a protest against what is going on. People came afterwards and said to me, that was very moving. What they meant wasn't well done to you, but they meant that the sentiments that had been incorporated a way back were very pertinent today and they were moved by them. I would imagine, although I've watched lots and lots of newsreels from Ukraine, your music seems to me to have been absent, but maybe, maybe it's going on it's just not being picked up by the media. I was browsing uh, a local charity shop this morning, as I often do, to pick up CDs. And I picked up Carl Jenkins, one of the most famous living classical composers today. He has a CD called The Peacemakers, which I picked up this morning as it happens. And it's music dedicated to various world leaders that have promoted peace. My sense from what Carl Jenkins offering there and having read his, his biographies, one of the ways he feels he can be useful in this world as a composer is to create music that might help promote peace. We're hopeful, obviously, that we're in a, a conflict at the moment with uh, Ukraine and Russia. Are you optimistic that music might play a role in 
the peacemaking process there. Well, it'd be nice to think so. You have to remember, and we've talked about this, the fact that music is used on both sides, you know. So music can be neutral and used by the people who create it and perform it in support of the particular view they subscribe to. So Russian people are presumably singing patriotic songs and trying to encourage the people over there to see what they're doing as worthy and necessary. I think that when put to the kind of use that Carl used it for, and most of these protest songs that have been emerged from the the, uh, the folk world, then yes, it brings people of goodwill together. It gives them sentiments that they can hold on to and share and promote in all aspects of their life. I, I think, you know, with the Bard of Avon, that if music be the fruit of love, play on, I say, if it can be the fruit of love in all circumstances and we say to all the musicians out there play on music has a big part to play i'm absolutely certain and it will have a part to play in the future when we try to reconstruct the world this too will pass away i've enjoyed listening to the sampler that um, i have the music is fantastic it's technically brilliant but it does convey what it's set out to convey in the first place. I think that when the full CD is released, people will be absolutely delighted. The people in Falkirk are already delighted that a son, a Falkirk Bairn, has produced something of such quality. Not just the composition and the performance, but the performances of two musicians, three musicians actually, but the two that we were aware of who made a brilliant addition. It's a wonderful piece of work. It's a piece of work that will be now part of Falkett's history. All the very best with it. More of the same, please, in the future. This is Ian Scott, and I'm delighted to introduce Skirmish. Fascinating listen to Ian Scott there. It's clear that by virtue of the town's unique central geographical location, many bloody skirmishes took place in the Falkirk area throughout the centuries. And whilst they might not have taken place between the native Scots and the Romans, neighbouring tribes fought there for centuries long after the Romans' departure. From a composer's point of view, I'm pleased that Ian feels skirmish convincingly conjures up the terrifying madness that surely must have been present in the minds of warriors anticipating a kill-or-be-killed close combat situation. I've learnt that beyond intimidation tactics, music was used in battle primarily as a vital means of communication, 
and as an extremely powerful and unifying language that transcends words alone, music has the ability to stir the passions, giving soldiers the courage to fight, as well as raising the morale of beleaguered troops before and after battle. But if music is also a universal language that speaks to everyone across borders, let's hope that more often than not, music is a unifying force for peace and not conflict. My thanks to Ian Scott for these wonderful insights, which I hope you've enjoyed as much as I have. Join me for episode three of Soundtracks Track by Track podcast to find out more about music and nature and to use a parlance of our times, music and well-being. I'll also be previewing the third track from Earthtones Trio's debut album soundtracks, The John Muir Way. Meantime, thanks for listening. Ewan Stevenson's soundtracks was commissioned by Chamber Music Scotland and Classic Music Live Falkirk, was written, arranged and produced by Ewan Stevenson and performed by Earthtones Trio, Catherine Bryan on flute, Ewan Stevenson on piano and Betsy Taylor on cello. Soundtracks is available now on the IOKO Classical label. Find out more about Ewan Stevenson's soundtracks at ewanstevenson.com and iocomusic.com. Soundtracks Track by Track podcast was produced by Nick Prentice at Media Room for IOKO Music.